Hello and welcome to another episode of Disastrous History. This is once again another Patreon episode, only for my patrons. Welcome back. I know it's been a long time, and I'm very sorry. It's been about six months since I last released an episode, and I have been extremely busy in that time, uh, working a lot of hours, and actually doing disaster response. I can't talk about the disaster response, but know that it has shaped how these episodes will be going forward, um, especially some of the bigger episodes that are more public. I have some more hands-on experience in how to explain the after-effects of disasters and how those impact people around. So, look forward to that in future episodes. Um, not particularly this one, because it's, well, we're going to get into it, but it kind of one-and-done kind of thing, so there's no real necessary after effects and it was kind of overshadowed by a whole other thing that was going on but anyway let's get into this um if you haven't listened to the first patreon episode um, i'm a little bit more candid and a little bit less editing in this one just because well it's you guys and you guys are very few of you and most of you are my friends and know me personally so you know that i can let my personality shine a little bit more in these episodes so anyway this week's episode is going to cover the Balvano train derail or train disaster. I'm sorry, not train derailment, train disaster. Because it's been a long time since our last train disaster. And you know, East Palestine re- pa- pal- Palestine East Palestine recently happened and all of that. So, we're going to talk about that. So that you have an idea of the convoluted mess we're about to dive into in the Balvano train disaster, it's not super convoluted. The disaster itself is extremely straightforward and very easy to explain, but the reasons why it happened are very convoluted. So, this particular disaster occurred in 1944. Why does that matter? Well, that was in the middle of a certain invasion of a certain country where the trains were supposed to run on time. Mild spoiler alert, this train was not going to run on time. But yes, this disaster happened in the in March of 1944. Now, Balvano is a small town in southern Italy, a few hours south of Naples, nestled among the Apennine mountain range, otherwise known as, if you're very familiar with Roman history, they are the Apennines. This particular town has had its fair share of disasters. No matter how hard I look, I cannot find when this town was founded beyond maybe the 2nd or 3rd century BCE, but man... This town has had it rough the last 80 or so years. In addition to the disaster we're focusing on here, the train disaster, it also got smacked by a 6.9 magnitude earthquake in 1980 that absolutely devastated the town. Not to get into the weeds here, but on November 23rd, 1980, a massive earthquake struck the area. At the time of the earthquake, a large group of children in Balvano were in the old medieval church listening to a meeting. When the earthquake struck, that church collapsed on top of them, killing 67 in the rubble. The rest of the town was also absolutely devastated, with 77 people dying in the town of Balvano alone. Which, for a town of 2,000 people or so, is a pretty significant population. That's a full 4% of the town just gone in one event, with largely a likely a large chunk of the town's children killed in that terrible tragedy inside that one church. But we're not here to talk about earthquakes, we're here to talk about planes, trains, and automobiles. 
actually no it's just trains we're, we're just gonna talk about trains so let's do that let's talk about the history of train travel in italy especially right around world war ii but we're gonna do all of it because why not we're all friends here and everybody loves learning about the history of trains in italy in a country that well, i've never visited but i would love to some of you may know a certain asshole of a man who ended up as a wind chime was really proud of his trains running on time and I know this is going to shock you, but uh, they didn't actually run on time. Like, at all, really. It turns out that Mussolini was relatively good at that whole propaganda thing. In order to talk about train travel in Italy fully, we need to first discuss the history of Italy. On April 21st, 753 BCE, Rome was founded. No, we don't actually have to go that far back. I'm just kidding. Although that would be really fun to go through a whole history of Italy here in this Patreon episode that's supposed to be about a disaster that occurred in 1944, but I'm not going to do that to you all. We're actually going to start around the building of the first rail line in all of Italy in 1839. Now, if you know anything about the history of Italy after the fall of the Western Roman Empire, it is long, it is drawn out, and the borders are completely made up and don't mean anything at all and are entirely based on the whims of whoever managed to declare themselves kings for about, I don't know, 10 minutes and just drew up random lines. There are so many kingdoms throughout the history of Italy that pop up and go away and pop up and go away. Some within a year, some of them within five years, some of them within 10 years. They conquer each other, they reconquer each other. It is a tangled mess of just wildness. Like, that is a whole entire podcast on its own from, like, 476 to about 1870 would probably be a podcast of 90 or 100 episodes. Like, it is way too much to get into. And, to be honest, it kind of matches Western Europe after the fall of the Roman Empire anyway, because it's just a tangled mess of wherever they wanted to draw borders and do whatever they want. So if you remember back to one of my older episodes, we briefly talked about the kingdom of two Sicilies. Now, there is only one Sicily. It is the rock that the Italian boot peninsula is kicking. It's the little island at the end of the boot of Italy. That is the only Sicily. But there were two separate kingdoms of Sicily. One was, you know, actually on the island of Sicily, and one was actually the kingdom of Naples, but they called themselves officially the kingdom of Sicily because they were originally on Sicily, but then they got kicked off of Sicily, but they decided they didn't want to change their name. They wanted to keep the kingdom of Sicily as their title, so they just called themselves that, but they were actually the kingdom of Naples. Yes, humans have never changed. They then combined and broke apart, and combined and broke apart, like 10 times from 1286 until the last time they combined in 1816 until 1861 when they got swallowed up by the kingdom of Sardinia during the process of Resorgimento or what we know as Italian unification. Basically, when they combined, they would call themselves the kingdom of two Sicilies because <laughs> we're really bad at naming things. And kingdom of two Sicilies is still one of my favorite kingdom names ever. It is completely ridiculous considering the one kingdom of sicily was literally not on sicily at all and hadn't been for literally years at that point yet they still decided to call themselves that ridiculous name i this is one of my favorite things in history i really get distracted by it every time the kingdom of two sicilies comes up it's just an 
excellent primer, an exact excellent example of the pettiness that human beings have when they're literally not on the island that's been called Sicily for hundreds of years, but they're still going to call themselves the Kingdom of Sicily just so the other one has to explain why they're the Kingdom of Sicily and the other one's not the Kingdom of Sicily. It's just fantastic. Anyway, the first stretch of Italian train tracks was laid in the Kingdom of Two Sicilies in October of 1839. That was in the Kingdom of Naples, not the Kingdom of Sicily. It, it was on mainland Italy, not on Sicily. Just to make sure that's straight. It was just a short stretch from Naples to Portici, which, how short is short? Well, it was basically four and a half miles. The king of two Sicilies himself came out to inaugurate the line, and it was a whole big fanfare, literally just four miles. They had a whole big party and all of that. After that, railways really took off in Italy, with a huge chunk of the now unified country being connected by railroads by 1870. From then on, they attempted to nationalize the railways, but that failed spectacularly. Several times they tried, and several times they failed. And then after that, the railways started to kind of fall into disrepair. Partially because of, well, World War I, in which a lot of Italian railways got destroyed because there was a lot of fighting in northern Italy. So there was a lot of damage throughout and kind of had to deal with other issues, the, you know getting more lands back from Austria, and all of that. Dealing with all of that took a lot of money away from the railroads and let them fall into disrepair and damage and all of that. Then came old Windchime himself, Mussolini, who actually made an appearance briefly on a previous episode talking about the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, but he's back officially now, and he's going to claim he made the trains run on time. But let's look at that closer. It's no secret that in 1922, when everyone's least favorite Italian dictator rose to power, the Italian railway network was in bad shape. World War I had literally just ended. Everything in Europe was dried mud, wet mud, in the process of becoming mud, or exploded. There's no getting around that. Like, Italy hadn't taken a ton of damage in comparison to, say, France or Belgium or Germany or, you know, what became Poland or Russia or Austria or any of that, but it had taken a beating. Italy's war dead numbered in the 500,000 or so soldiers, and in one of the weirdest bits of historical trivia, they fought in the 12 battles of the Isonzo River. Yes, you heard me correctly, 12 battles of the same river. Literally, 12 battles in the same spot over the course of about four years. World War I was known as the war to end all wars, but it was ultimately a pointless slog for no real reason. Like, you don't get to 12 battles over the same river for any real reason, but anyway... World War I had done a real number on Italy's rail system. It needed to be completely rebuilt. But it wasn't like Italy just did nothing from 1918 to 1922 when Mussolini propaganded his way into taking credits for trains running on time. They were well underway fixing the entire system. Now, it wasn't done, and it wasn't really good, but they were in the process of upgrading, repairing, fixing, doing all of that from 1918 to 1922 when Italy made his, or er, Italy, Mussolini made his big old grand, I'm going to fix the railroads thing. But why did he make the whole, the trains run on time thing, and why did it matter in the first place? Well, obviously trains in 1922 weren't super scheduled well, and 
Italy's a very mountainous and hilly place, so it's a lot of work getting trains up hills, and there's a lot of delays and things like that, and offloading and unloading and loading and reloading and all of that. So trains in Italy were notoriously late, especially with the damage from World War I that they were trying to fix, and people were getting frustrated with it. And if you can make the claim that, hey, I made it so that you can do whatever you want, go anywhere you want, on time and quickly, that's a pretty big propaganda win. He also spent a lot of time and money pumping into the big railway projects. So, like a Roman emperor of old, he would pump money into these big public projects that would be seen by tourists and the rich people that would come to do deals in Italy and the big politicians. Like, he really wanted to pump money into these projects so that it looked like Italy was being upgraded and Italy was this grand place and all of that. Now, obviously, we know that these big public projects that get tons of money and are essentially only for show always come at the cost of something. And that cost in this particular situation was the Railroad Workers Union, which he, you know, dissolved because, again, fascist dictator. Um, he also, it killed hundreds of railway workers working on these projects because it's not like, oh, we're going to build this project and we're going to do it right and do it at the pace it needs to be done. We're going to do it as fast as possible. I don't care how many people are going to die. We need to get it done so I can show it at whatever big events coming up in the future in like a week or two weeks or month or whatever. It They would literally work them to death. Now, outside of those big flashy public projects that big grand train stations and the trains that would go from Rome to Naples or Rome to Milan or Milan to Venice or whoever, whatever direction you wanted to go, the big cities to the big cities, the railways outside of that, it was basically business as usual, run down, broken, late, not super great. It wasn't, he wasn't trying to fix all of the trains. He was trying to fix the trains for the rich people that we're going to want to see that the trains are being fixed. Like, it makes sense, especially if you are, you know, a fascist dictator who's going to turn into a wind chime. But from 1922 all the way up until the early 30s, late 30s, early 40s, things were business as usual for everyone who wasn't rich or famous or powerful in Italy with regards to the railroads. They were late. They weren't well taken care of. They weren't well maintained. Like, things were business as usual, and it was business as usual right up until 1943, because you know what isn't business as usual? Getting the entire Italian peninsula invaded in 1943 because Il Duce was Il Dickhead. On the 9th of September, Allied forces that had just finished driving the Italians and Germans out of Sicily began their work driving the Germans out of Italy. I say Germans because on September 8th, Italy surrendered to the Allies after the King of Italy. Yes, one of those existed at the time. You don't super hear about him a lot because Mussolini's a whole big, giant, inflated ego. uh, Had, you know, the, the King of Italy had Il Dickhead arrested. This didn't super do anything to help the Allies, really. The Italian army was already in absolute shambles after the half-assed attempt at defending Sicily, and once they surrendered, Germany ran Operation Osh and essentially occupied Italy. Well, not essentially occupied Italy. They, they did occupy northern Italy. Well, all of Italy, but they would, after the invasion, that's a whole thing. Anyway, 
They occupied Italy. In a fun turn of events, Italy once again switched sides, and after a month, they declared war on Germany from their new government location in Malta. Again, this didn't really do anything. It's not super encouraging for soldiers to have to fight for a king who ran away to Malta and let the Nazis take over everything without so much as giving any orders. Literally, that's what happened. After they surrendered, they fled to Malta and gave whatever Italian soldiers were left still fighting no orders. So either they deserted, joined the Nazis, or attempted to join the Allies. Some of them successfully joined the Allies, some of them did not. Some of them were killed by the Germans for the possibility that they were collaborating with the Allies. It's a whole mix of mumble-jumbo, war-fog kind of weirdness. Now I know what you're thinking. What does any of this have to do with a train disaster in a small town in Italy? And I'm getting there. I promise. It will all make sense eventually. Anyway, Operation Avalanche began with a naval invasion of Salerno, which is the American invasion of Italy. Operation Slapstick, yes, that is the real name, began with a naval invasion of Toronto, and they were off to the races. That's the United Kingdom invasion of Italy. Two different places at the same time. Germany had planned for this and made a bit of a fighting retreat to fortified positions throughout southern Italy. It was like a half-assed fighting retreat because invading southern Italy is a tall task anyway. Like, it's all mountains down there. There's nothing, it's nothing but mountains down there. There's mountains all over the southern portion of it. It's like trying to invade the United States through the Rockies. You you could do it. It's going to be terrible, and it's going to be awful the entire time, but it like, technically is possible. But that was the only way the Allies could do it, so that's what they did. And because it's mountainous, it's going to take forever. The Germans are not on the offensive, but they are. They have the upper hand because they're retreating backwards to their fortified positions. They still have all of the transportation options intact. So as the Germans are retreating back to their previously fortified positions, they're blowing up rail lines, roads, destroying food, destroying cattle. Anything that could give the Allies a hard time, the Nazis were blowing up. So they're blowing up literally every rail line that they can get to in time in front of this Allied uh, invasion so that the Allies have a much more difficult time getting through southern Italy. And that is what is important here. The Germans are blowing up transportation. Remember why I said this was going to be important? Italy still has not fully recovered from World War I. Southern Italy's not bad because, I mean, there wasn't much fighting in Southern Italy in World War I, but it's still not great. It's been, you know, 30 years or hell. It could have been 100 years since these lines have been updated at all. 60 years, 70 years, 80 years. They're going to be not in the greatest shape and so when the Nazis are blowing them up as well, it's going to make it that much more difficult. Eventually, the Allies would be successful and take all of Italy. It was awful and a grind and everyone hated it, but they were successful. But again, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about a train. So, if the Nazis have just retreated in front of you, back to whatever, wherever they're going, and they're blowing up rail lines on the way, the best mode of transport for the Allies at this time was trains. Troop trains for food, weapons, ammo, all of that was trains. So if it's all been blown up, they have to rebuild it as quickly as possible because 
they need to catch up to the Nazis so they don't get into their fortified positions and make it that much more difficult to push them out even more. So they're going to rebuild these rail lines as quickly as possible. And when you build things as quickly as possible, shortcuts get taken. When shortcuts get taken, well, bad things happen. The other thing is, the Nazis aren't just blowing up the railroads themselves. They're blowing up engines, they're blowing up tank cars, they're blowing up freight cars, they're blowing up passenger cars, they're blowing up stockpiles of coal, or just straight up taking the coal. Like, you're getting, they're going to take all of the best stuff that they can drag with them, and if they can't drag it with them, they're going to blow it up so that it can't be used by their enemies. So that's going to cause a lot of problems in occupied Italy, in the, well, in allied-occupied Italy, not Nazi-occupied Italy. It's going to cause problems in Nazi-occupied Italy because you're occupied by the Nazis. The problems in allied-occupied Italy are going to be because of what the Nazis have destroyed behind them. What this means is, war-torn post-invasion southern Italy was not a fun place to be. If you were not an American soldier or an Italian soldier who happened to be able to get in with the Allies, this was not fun. There were shortages everywhere. There was food shortages, clothes shortages. Literally any shortage you could think of was happening at that point. Everything was bombed. It was terrible. There were dead everywhere because there was literally just an invasion and the Nazis aren't, you know, super nice about leaving people alive when they leave. It was bad. But just because everything had been blown up and there were shortages doesn't mean that people weren't finding ways to get around it. People will do almost anything to get what they want. They will do whatever they have to to feed their families, to clothe their families, to get food themselves. And if that means setting up a black market to get vegetables or clothes or whatever, that's what they're going to do. And if that black market requires stowing away on freight trains to get the farms out in the countryside because otherwise the vegetables are getting into town, well then that's what's going to happen. With the food shortages and all of that, there was food being grown, but there was no way for the food to get from the farm into Naples and the bigger cities because everything was blown up. So what that meant was stowing away on freight trains, riding out to the farm, whatever freight trains were running, that might have been one a day at the time, riding out to the farm, buying them from the farmers themselves instead of the massively marked up prices inside the city, and then riding the train back into town to feed your family, children, wife, whatever, whoever, whatever, or getting stuff to trade with the Americans to get more stuff. The other thing that I didn't mention earlier is that getting out to the countryside was going to be difficult because, again, they're the Nazis, so they riddled all of the roads with landmines and traps and all of that kind of stuff to make sure that you know, they blew up as many Allied soldiers as they could behind them. So this made travel not via stowing yourself away on a freight train that much more difficult. It was really either I watch my children starve to death or I stick myself on this freight train right out to the countryside spend what little money I have on vegetables and stuff that I can get there, and then smuggle it back into the city. Like, it was just all around bad, or get blown up. Like, wasn't great options at the moment. And just, just to really drive the point home, all of the passenger trains were likely commandeered by both armies. Because there's, well, 
technically there's several armies, but the Germans and then the Americans and the British would have taken all of the passenger trains to ferry their troops to the front or ferry backups to where the front is and then take the old troops, the, the troops that had been there for a while, back to relieve them for a while. Like These passenger trains were out of commission because they were being used. So there weren't really any other transport options. So stowing away on freight trains was the only option. And it wasn't just like 10 or 20 stowaways at a time. We're talking about hundreds upon hundreds of people stowing away on a single freight train at a time, trying to get out to get food for their families and then getting back into town. It was dramatic. Like five, six, seven hundred people on a single freight train, the entire length of the freight train, in every single nook and cranny. It was men, women, children elderly, whoever could get on that train and ride out there to get food or clothes or whatever they needed would get on that train. And this causes a whole lot of problems because having 10 or 20 stowaways on a train is whatever, like that's a couple thousand pounds. Having five, six, seven hundred people on a train, that's a lot. Like that is a big change in weight. It's a big change in weight distribution because people aren't going to distribute themselves evenly throughout the train. They're going to go wherever they can fit people. So if they've got, say, a train car full of coal, people aren't going to be in that coal car because why would they? They're going to be all the way in the back. If all of the open space is in the back, all the people are going to jam their way into the back. That changes the weight distribution on the train. That changes how the train runs. That changes where the power needs to be to get that train up and down the, again, very mountainous southern Italy. You probably can see where this is going a little bit. You can at least a little bit see where this is going. So that brings us to the night of March 2nd, 1944. That night, the freight train 8017 left Naples heading east towards Potenza. It consisted of 47 rail cars, most of which were empty. Well, empty of the things a normal freight train would carry. But this was not actually empty. This train was filled with hundreds upon hundreds of people trying to get to the countryside to get food and goods and whatever else they could carry, survive off, or trade with the American soldiers currently occupying Naples. The first part of this trip was fine. The railroad was electrified, which gave it more power, and it had plenty of power with what they already had. It was also over flat land, so everything was moving smoothly, and the train was making good time. This part only needed one engine, locomotive, to keep the train running well. Again, it's over flat land, it's not that difficult, it's mostly empty, like, it's, it's not a big deal. That changed once they reached, and forgive me, I'm going to try, Badapaglia. The rail was no longer electrified and would have to be steam-powered because the steam power is less powerful overall than the electric locomotives, which was amplified by another reason we will get into, the single engine, the single locomotive on the front of the train, was replaced by two locomotives on the front of the train. Now, I mentioned that the steam power was less powerful than the electric overall, but in addition to already being less powerful than the electric locomotive, it was less powerful than a normal steam-powered locomotive. They require coal to function properly, and that requires good burning coal to reach their full energy harnessing potential. So that needs to be relatively pure coal, 
because pure coal burns better than, you know, less pure coal. It makes sense. The better quality coal you have, the better it burns, the hotter it burns, the more power your locomotive is going to get. The problem was, this was occupied Italy, and the Allies were still fighting the Nazis to get them out of Italy. There were shortages everywhere, but especially of good quality coal. And what good quality coal they could get was being used for, you know, fighting the Nazis. It wasn't going to be given to a freight train traveling out of Naples in the middle of night. So they were getting the worst of the worst coal. It was not going to burn efficiently. And when coal doesn't burn efficiently, when anything doesn't burn efficiently, it creates carbon monoxide. A lot of carbon monoxide, which we know from other episodes. I know I've talked about it before. The less efficient you're burning, the more byproducts you have. The more carbon monoxide you produce, the more carbon dioxide you produce, the less energy is given off by that burning. So, this engine, with its significantly lower quality coal, is going to produce a ton, a ton, a ton of carbon monoxide. Which, as we all know from, you know, being alive, carbon monoxide will kill you super dead. Now, at this point in our rail trip... There's about 500 or so stowaways on this train. They made it through Battipaglia just fine, then stopped in Niboli, and American soldiers forced some of the stowaways off the train. But that only lasted for a bit. More and more gone on after that stop on each subsequent stop along the line. The train at this point weighed several hundred tons, full of stowaways, with two trains in the two locomotives in the front pulling all of this weight. So just to give you an idea, the Balvano train station is not actually in Balvano. Balvano is off nestled among the mountains. It's a nice little mountain town in southern Italy. One of those idyllic, picturesque European towns that small towns where there's a little cafe and blah, 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 blah. It's off on its own, fantastic, and all of that. The actual train station is off along the line, and it stands betwixt really just wanted to say betwixt, two tunnels, one to the west, one to the east. The one we care about, the Galleria dell'Arme, literally the Gallery of Arms, is a two-kilometer, one and a quarter miles from my Americans, long tunnel through a mountain. And this isn't like a wide tunnel. This literally looks like they pushed a train up to the edge of the mountain, drew a line around the outline of the train, and then made the tunnel based on that line around the outline of the train. There is barely enough space for the train to get in the mountain, and it is not a straight tunnel. It twists and curves and turns and winds its way through the mountain. It is also, shockingly, not flat. It is at an approximate 1.3% grade, which doesn't sound like much, but is about a foot every 100 feet, which again, doesn't sound like much until you factor in the train was pulling 500-something tons of people, stuff, whatever was being taken through the tunnel. That requires a lot of power, which we've already discussed, this train was sorely lacking. So at 12.50 a.m., the 8017 left Balvano's train station and made the couple-mile trip to the entrance of the Galleria dell'Arme. It started out fine. The train was making it into the tunnel, but then something slowly started to change. The train was rapidly losing speed, the wheels were beginning to slip on the track, which is a big problem. No grip, no forward motion. No forward momentum means not going through the tunnel, 
not going through the tunnel means sitting there spinning your wheels on the track. But trains were built with this in mind. I don't know if you guys know this, but they have boxes of sand they dump in front of the wheels to help gain traction again. It gives the rails friction, gives the wheels something to grab onto, and it aids the train in moving forward when the rails are wet or snowy or whatever. If they just can't get up the hill. If there's too much weight behind them, they need help getting up the hill, they need more traction, they dump the boxes of sand in front of the wheels, they gain traction, go over the wheels. But inexplicably, this did not work. They were gaining zero traction. They were stuck. Now, I know I said that this is on a grade, and that grade made it difficult to get into the actual tunnel because it weighed a lot. But it also made it far enough into the tunnel, and the grade wasn't high enough that the train started to roll backwards. The train just kind of sat there. Now, obviously, the engineers were doing everything they could to get the train going again. So they maxed out the engines. What that does is make the engine work harder, producing more and more and more and more smoke. By this point, the tunnel was rapidly filling with smoke. And that, again, that coal is not pure, it's not burning efficiently, it's creating a ton of carbon monoxide. Most of the 47 cars full of people were inside the tunnel, and it was rapidly becoming unlivable. Inside the front engine, the fireman, the guy throwing coal in to help the engine go, saw the lantern that was lighting the way in the engine was extinguished, which I might add, is never, ever good. Like, ever. Because... That is a that is a oil burning lantern. It is being it is burning oil to light their way. If that is extinguished, that means a it ran out of fuel, or b there's no oxygen available for it to continue to burn. This particular instance was option B, which is bad. It's bad news for everyone inside that train. And then. The firemen, all of a sudden, became extremely nauseous and ran to the edge to lean over and maybe find some clean air. He thought it was the smoke that was overcoming him, which it, it was, and he was trying to find clean air in this tunnel. There, he passed out, fell out of the locomotive, down beside the train tracks, into a ditch. And there he lay, amongst the poisonous gases and bleeding heavily from his significant fall, unconscious. Meanwhile... Back in the locomotive he just fell from, the engineer had opened it all the way up full forward, tried desperately to gain traction, and died right there in the seat with the throttle pushed fully forward. In the second locomotive, because remember there's two, the driver there tried to do the opposite. Realizing the train wasn't going to gain traction going forward, he threw the engine in reverse and was going to back all the way out. Even if there wasn't much traction, some of it, plus the weight of the train, would get them out of the tunnel. But he would die of carbon monoxide poisoning before successfully getting the train in reverse and getting it backwards. Now, it's possible, even with the front engine going forward and the second engine going in reverse, they would have made it out backwards. The reverse of one engine and 500-something tons of weight going downhill would be nearly impossible for a locomotive with no traction to fight. But even if they wanted to communicate and put them in reverse together, it was going to be difficult. The front engine was an Italian-built locomotive, so its controls were on the left, like most Italian trains. 
The second engine was Austrian built and its controls were on the right. So if they had managed to overcome the darkness of the tunnel and the loudness of the engine, they probably both would have gone to the opposite sides to make signals to the other and wasted precious seconds that would have made the disaster happen regardless. Like, this is basically a Scooby-Doo episode. The guy in the Italian engine is going to the other side to wave at the Austrian, the guy in the Austrian engine, and the Austrian engine is going to the other side to wave at that guy, and neither one, they're just going back and forth trying to figure out where the other one is, and they can't yell at each other to be like, hey, stay on one side, because both of their engines are running at full blast, and it's you know loud in this tiny tunnel. So it likely would have happened regardless. So that's what is happening in the two engines. But what about the rest of the train? And the answer to that is nothing good. Essentially, everyone in every car above the last two either died in their sleep or became extremely nauseous, then passed out and died wherever they fell. There was likely no warning, no indication, nothing that told the 500 plus of them that they were about to die. They might have heard the loud roar of the engines as they tried desperately to climb the rails and any candles or lanterns they had lit for light might have gone out before they realized what was happening, but there was no explosion or sound that warned them of their coming death. There was, there was nothing. There would have been nothing. The train engines might have gotten slightly louder, and if they were awake, which again, it's almost 1 o'clock in the morning, so it's likely that a lot of them were sleeping. If they were awake, they would have gotten nauseous, very short nausea, and then they would have passed out and had no idea what was happening. Like, it would have been like a blanket, just whooshed over their eyes. If they had lanterns lit, they'd have fallen in darkness, gotten nauseous, died. There would have been, there would have been nothing. And for the people who found them, it would be like the lights had just been turned out in their eyes. They likely showed no signs of any physical trauma or anything of that nature, any physical trauma they had was from falling out of the train. There wouldn't have been like any visible wounding or anything like that. It would have been very obviously they just fell out of the train. Like they all just died where they stood, fell out of their train. They all suffocated in place, peacefully and quietly, without having any idea of what was happening. Men, women, and children, just looking they were, they were taking a nap, but one they would never wake up from, draped all over this train in a last hope to feed their families. It would take until several hours later in the morning for anyone to be notified of the disaster. The last brakeman on the very last car was very confused. He had realized they were sitting there out in the open for an unusual amount of time and decided to walk into the tunnel to see what the problem was. The discovery he found was probably a horror beyond horrors. He had to run back along the track all the way to the train station, through two tunnels previously, along the embankment in the dark, foggy, cold March morning. He made it back to the Balvano train station later that night, yelled, they're all dead over there, all dead, and then passed out cold on the rails. When the first rescue train arrived at the site, all they could do was help in those in the last two cars that were outside. They could not move the train on the tunnel, as there were too many bodies on the tracks. And there were some survivors. Almost everyone in the last cars would have been extremely nauseous and may have passed out, but likely were still alive. And that's one of the things that was helpful, because if you're in those last two train cars, as the carbon monoxide comes pouring out of this train, it's there's going to be some, but there's not going to be a lot, because again, the tunnel's going uphill. Carbon monoxide's heavier than air, so a lot of that carbon monoxide is going to continue to go up that tunnel and out the other side, depending on where it is. 
some of it would have come back down. Just That's just how the airflow is going to work. But a lot of these people in these last two cars, when they passed out from on the train, when they landed on the ground, they're going to be in free oxygen again. They're going to have oxygen. It's going to smell. There's going to be smoke. But they're going to have available oxygen. It's like being in a fire. If you're in a fire, they tell you to get low and crawl out of the house because all of the smoke is up high. Down on the ground is going to be good oxygen for you to breathe. It's the same thing in a carbon monoxide situation. That carbon monoxide is going to tend to pool at the ceiling, and you can get down low and survive and make it out. The people inside the tunnel were, were not as lucky, unfortunately. They're going to be floor-to-ceiling carbon monoxide. And when they pass out, they're likely passing out in the train, landing on the train well above floor level, well above the ground level, where they're not going to get any of that oxygen, and they're just going to die in their sleep. Any of them that fall out of the train are not just, it's just going to keep flowing past them. Like, there's nothing that could have been done here to prevent this. Well, I shouldn't say that. There were things that could have been done here to prevent this, but once it started, there was nothing that was going to prevent it, unless they had 500 tanks of oxygen for all these people to walk their way out. It was always going to be a disaster. It would take them hours to get all of the victims out of the tunnel so that they could actually pull the train out of the tunnel. In the end, the front engine fireman would survive. The one that was in the very front of the engine who passed out and fell out of the train and landed in the ditch next to it, he managed to land next to a puddle of water that kind of helped keep him alive because it kept some of the gases away. And it, There was like a little ditch that he just happened to fall into it was just low enough that the carbon monoxide couldn't get down to him entirely and suffocate him. He woke up a couple hours later with a light in his face and was dragged out of the tunnel. He was the only survivor from inside the tunnel. In total, more than 500 people died inside that tunnel. Many sources put the death toll over 600 people. The truth is, we will likely never know. The only people who received actual burials were the crew members. All the stowaways were buried in a mass grave outside Balvano, which was a whole issue in and of itself. The Allies did not want to take responsibility for 500 people dying on their watch on a train that they should have been taken care of in their occupied territory. They wanted to blame the Italian government. The Italian government wanted to blame the Allies. The Allies' solution to 500 bodies they weren't expecting was to burn them all. The town of Balvano said, uh, to hell with that, we're at least going to give them some sort of burial, which, again, was just a mass grave, but it was better than just mass burning them all. It was a whole big thing. It would take decades for anyone to admit that the disaster was a thing and who had responsibility for it. Like, they did not want to take responsibility for it, like, I mean, I understand why. Like, this is a terrible time. They're, the Italian government is already in shambles because they just had to oust their terrible dictator who was murdering people. They openly welcomed the Nazis into their territory to help them defend their territory. Like, they don't want another thing to be dealing with, and the Allies do not want to be associated with a mass death of civilians. Like, this, it, it was a whole thing that would take decades. Like, it was only until, I think, 2018 that um, the government of Italy actually acknowledged that they might have been at fault for this disaster. So, why 
did this happen? We have the obvious reasons. Poor quality coal, lack of power, overloading of stowaways, and all that. But why did the train lose traction? Even with the sand, there was no traction for the train at all. Some of that likely comes down to the humidity. All that day and into the night, it had rained off and on. It was also incredibly foggy, so the rails were wet. Too wet for the wheels to work properly. Also, oddly enough, there were absolutely zero ventilation shafts in the tunnel at all. So had they built some sort of ventilation shaft, even just a small one somewhere near the entrance, it likely would not have been as bad. Now, it probably still would have been somewhat bad because two trains working full power trying to get up a hill and a small ventilation shaft is not going to get all of the carbon dioxide out as fast as you want it to. But if they had installed something or several, it likely would have been much better. There would have at least been some more survivors. And the other issue is there had been a train that had gone through the tunnel not long before the 8017 went through. And a lot of the gases from that train were still in the tunnel. So they were already entering a hostile environment when they went in and added an even more hostile environment to an already hostile environment. So a lot of things led to the culmination of this disaster. There was, and there was very little oversight because, again... Invasion, World War II, like, big deal. There was terrible coal. No one was forcing the stowaways off. They never should have been on the train in the first place, but who can really blame them? They have to feed their families. I can't blame them. They got to they gotta do what they got to do to feed their families. So if that means they have to stow away and risk dying in a train, that's what you got to do, man. But there were a lot of reasons that this disaster happened. Like, it was... It was a culmination of a lot of things. The Allies had taken all of the passenger trains. They'd taken all the good coal. The Germans had destroyed the rail lines. They destroyed the roads. They destroyed food. They had taken the passenger trains. They had taken the good coal. All of that, like, all of it culminated in this disaster. And it makes sense once you look at the full picture of the full story of what happened here. It would take 15 years after the disaster... But all identified victims inside the Balvano train disaster would receive payment from the Italian government that had been paid to all war victims. So anybody in the war that was a victim in Italy received a payment from the Italian government. Eventually, the victims of this disaster who had been identified, their families would receive payment as a war victim. Now, a lot of the people inside the tunnel were never recognized. They were never claimed. They were never recognized. It's likely that entire families died in that train. Husband, wife, children all got on the train looking to go out of the, the uh, farm land to get food because it wasn't safe in the cities. So they just all went together, and it's likely that several entire families were killed in this tragedy. In the aftermath... Limits were placed on the amount of weight a train could be pulling on that particular line at 350 tons. They also placed a guard post at the entrance to that tunnel, which would only allow trains to enter once all previous gases from the previous trains had been cleared. There was a lot of blame that ran around for who exactly to blame for this disaster. Because, again, like I said earlier, the Italian government didn't want to take responsibility. The Allies didn't want to take responsibility. So they just kind of went back and forth. And eventually it was kind of decided that everybody was at fault. 
the station masters of the Balvano train station and the Bella Murdo train station, which was the next one on the, the line, were blamed because they didn't try and figure out where the train was when it arrived late, which kind of makes sense because it's a really hilly route between the two, and it sometimes takes a lot of time to get up and down those hills. It's only seven kilometers, but occasionally that would take, you know, two plus hours to get through that whole area. So, like, it wasn't unusual, and again, it's post-invasion, so things are weird anyway. They also blamed the train staff, because they knew that all these uh, stowaways were on the train. They knew it changed the weight, they knew it drastically increased the weight, and they did nothing to fix it. But, again, what were they supposed to do? Make the train later than it already was? Allies were relying on things that were being brought on those trains, and if you make Allied stuff late, you're going to have a big problem because they're occupying your country. So, you know, there was a whole lot of blame placed around, and it was probably a mixture of everybody. Everybody was to blame here. The company that was running the trains at the time only had the one passenger train that would run at the same time, despite the fact that that particular rail line was extremely popular because it took people out into the country to get food which, again, is, you know, very important. Food is really important. And they only had one passenger train a week running that route. So, obviously, people were going to find other ways because a lot of people need a lot of food, and that train's going to fill up really quick when it's only running once a week. So they're going to find other ways to get out there, and that means stowing away on freight trains. So they were also blamed. There was a whole lot of blame to go around. Eventually, no one took the blame, but the federal government, again, like I said, did make war reparation payments to the identified victims of the disaster. And they did make some changes to make it safer. And in the late 90s, the that particular line was electrified. So now it's not really a problem at all. So that brings us to the end of another Patreon episode of Disastrous History. Hope you guys enjoyed it. As always, you can follow me on all the social medias and blah, blah, blah. I'm very happy to be back. I know that a lot of you aren't going to listen to this because it's the same stuff every time. But I appreciate you all sticking around, um, waiting for me to come back. And I'm very, very, very excited to get back and get back into making episodes for you guys. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, As always, stay safe and remember to check your smoke detector batteries.